0: I'll never give up on me. I came out of murder zone.
1: You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore b Another season recap podcast on deck for you guys today and today we're going to be looking at the Denver Nuggets and to talk about the Denver Nuggets and their 17-18 season I am joined once again by uh noted European bust Greg Ehrenberg. Greg how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. It feels like we just did one of these. This is crazy. Amazing stuff. The powers of technology. Um, Greg, we're going to talk Denver today, a team that narrowly missed out on the playoffs, of course, after losing that last game of the regular season against the Minnesota Timberwolves and found themselves on the outside looking in again, a team that has lots of fantasy-friendly players. A lot of people were excited to see, a coach that we're all frustrated with many, many times. So there's quite a bit for us to talk about here. In the draft, they have the 14th pick upcoming, uh, 43 and 58 as well. I'm sure they'll be not looking to trade that pick with the Utah Jazz after the uh, past issues they've had in trading away draft picks, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Of course, they'll be looking for a guy who can fit into their rotation somewhere, but there's no real huge holes at this point except for baby neck Wilson Chandler who could potentially uh, be gone, although I imagine he opts in. But let's let's hit into that, Let, free agents, because Chandler does have a $12.8 million player option for this coming season. Who's paying him uh, $13 million next season, apart from the Nuggets if he opts in?
1: Uh, yeah, probably nobody. At this point in his career, also 31 years of age and kind of declining skills, it's hard to see where he would fit in because I think teams with cap space, I, I don't see any of them like the Lakers or those types of teams, the thunder of Paul George leaves. I don't see any of them wanting to make a commitment to Wilson Chandler. So I think that he's best off picking up that option and then look for kind of like a mid-level type contract in the 2019-2020 season.
0: The other guy who's almost assuredly picking up his player option is Darrell Arthur who has $7.5 million left. His knees are cooked. He's not getting another contract probably in the NBA. So he'll be opting into that. Then they've got a few interesting unrestricted free agents. One of those who isn't interesting is Richard Jefferson. But Devin Harris who they acquired in the Emmanuel Moutier deal who played a pretty decent role for them as the backup point guard down the stretch. And of course, Farton Gilbarton is an unrestricted free agent. We will see. I think he's the biggest name that they've got to look to um, uh, get back onto this team, given he, his role. I think that he does get overrated by many people. Uh, even his coach, Dr. Michael Malone, has uh, some weird thoughts, I think, on, on the way Barton should be used, but we will see that. The other one is, is Nikola Jokic, has a team option, which they will will assuredly decline so that they can make him a restricted free agent so that they can then offer him the max contract and uh, get him signed up. Because if they take the team option without declining it, then he becomes an unrestricted free agent after that, and he can go anywhere. They have no control. So there is absolutely zero chance that they will be picking up this team option. They'll decline it. They'll make him a restricted free agent, and he will be back on a max contract. I don't think anyone has any doubt on that. Tory Craig, also a restricted free agent as a two-way um, player. What's what are your thoughts on Barton? We'll go back to him because I I don't like him as a player. He's frustrating to watch. He can put up numbers, but I I don't think that he's a guy who should be in featured roles on teams.
1: Yeah. So one thing that's really interesting about him, and I'll go to uh, I'll go to my DFS knowledge on this is that if you look at how players correlate with each other on the Nuggets roster. The players who benefit the fantasy production of other players the most are Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris, whereas Will Barton was negatively correlated with almost every single other player on the roster. So that means if Will Barton's having a good game, that probably means everybody else on the team is having a bad game. And I know that if we're just looking at DFS stats, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad real-life player or something like that, except I think there is something to be said that it's definitely a question mark of him and his... Ability to fit into a team player type role. When why is it a good game from him means less fantasy production from everybody else on the roster?
0: Yeah, he took a, a crazy amount of like game winning shots where he wouldn't give it to other players like Harris who are open or, or Jokic in that situation. He has out of control turnovers and drops, and sometimes he can play really well. We've seen it. He can play aggressively, defensively. He can take over games offensively, and his numbers they're hard to argue with. The fifty third ranked player this season, thirty three minutes per game, almost sixteen points, two threes, five five rebounds, four assists, a steal, 45, 81, 37. These are great, great numbers. But he's that guy that I feel like will put up numbers when he plays, but does him playing actually mean that you know, contribute to wins on a team? Is it is he strong there? Like his on-off was 0.3, meaning the team was basically the same with him on or off the court, which for other guys on the team, like Jokic was a 10 and Jamal Murray was a 7. Millsap was a four and Gary Harris was a five and then Barton's just neutral. And to me, like, and going on that correlation stuff, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just think he's a guy that at some point, uh, how old is he now? He's 27, so he's probably got another year or so left, but he's going to be one of those players who doesn't realize his limitations as he ages out and his athleticism drops and he becomes a real big negative on a team at some point. And that's something I think you should be bearing in mind if you're looking at his season this year, which was by far the best season of his career and looking at it extrapolating Playing at long term for Dynasty, that there could be some real uh, issues developing at some point with some of his, um, I don't know, I guess, poor decision making that does come into play when he's on the court. But he is someone who is quite divisive in terms of people's opinions of him. I don't necessarily nothing against the guy as a bloke; he seems fine. But some of his yeah, basketball decision making is not necessarily where it uh, where it needs to be a lot of the time. But we'll get back to the individual players in a second. Just a quick overview of the team: forty six and thirty six. For the season, they were 16th in pace, 6th best offense, 25th best defense, which I don't think surprises anyone. The absence of Paul Millsap for three months obviously hurt that ability of the defense to rise there. And Jokic pretty much dominated all of the advanced numbers for this team. He had the highest offensive rating and the equal highest defensive rating, led the team in PER and true shooting and win shares and win shares per 48 and box score plus minus everything. He is uh, a real key factor for this team as we're uh, as we're well aware but let's um let's talk a little bit of Nikola Jokic now Greg he uh played 33 minutes per game this season 75 games still just age 22 19 and 11 six assists 1.5 threes 1.2 steals 0.8 blocks 50 85 40% from 3 the 11th ranked player overall and to be honest he probably can still get better
1: yeah, I think the biggest concern I have with Jokic, and this is just kind of stretching looking for something, at, at points in the, the season when Millsap was healthy, the chemistry looked a little wonky between oh, yeah. Millsap and Jokic, and part of this is Malone's fault also, because there was a point in the season, especially at the beginning, where they insisted on running the offense through Millsap as opposed to Jokic, whereas Jokic is the much better offensive player, the much better offensive facilitator, and I kind of think that Jokic should be the captain of the offense, Millsap should be the captain of the defense, but they really seemed, for whatever reason, to think like we need to get a lot of touches to Millsap on offense. And what happened, until Millsap got hurt, I think the Nuggets were playing at the third or fourth slowest pace in the league, and the offense was kind of struggling, and they actually started playing better after Millsap got hurt. So I I think that there is a little bit of cause for concern at the beginning of the season, but I also think that there is a potential for a good buy-low situation. If Jokic starts the season next year as like the twenty or 30th ranked player, I would probably buy low on him then, and I think that eventually they'll figure it out with him and Millsap together. Millsap only played in 38 games last year. He wasn't healthy for a lot of the games he was uh, he was he was not unrestricted for a lot of the games. He was healthy for also. They brought him back with a minutes restriction. So I think working that out could take some time, but I think they will figure it out eventually.
0: You're right in the fact that it's they struggled early on in the season and the the decision making of Michael Malone in terms of running the offense was nonsense. You know, continual post ups through Millsap was just like, this is the thing. And I I gave him shit about it all season. He's like his thought process. This And I don't know what was in his head, but this is what it it appeared from the side. I was like, we had the best offense in the NBA last season, running things through Jokic. So you know what we should do, guys? Let's do everything different. And that's exactly what happened. And the offense disappeared. But on a positive note, when Millsap came back, there was a little bit of that clunkiness initially. But over the last three months of the season, when they basically both played the same amount of games, Jokic and, and Millsap... Jokic was the fifth ranked fantasy player over those 24 games that he played, averaged 22 and 11 with six and a half assists. The usage was up over his season usage numbers. His efficiency was up. They started to work it out as the season closed down. And I think that that's a reasonable facsimile for what we can hopefully expect next season, where Jokic, I think that you might find that people will think that it was a disappointing year from him and he might fall into the second round where he has got the potential to be a top six, top seven guy next season, especially if that second half chemistry with Millsap is able to continue because it looked much better over the past over the last couple of months of the season. So that's, I think that's a positive there. And he's still only bloody 22. And if he's going to hit 40% of his threes, he can, yeah, take a few more there. There's, it's not unexpected or it's not unreasonable to think that he averages 21 and 11 with over two threes and six and a half to seven assists as long as, um, things continue from that second half of the season. But. It's Michael Malone, so uh dumb shit happens all the time and we'll uh we'll be ready for that to uh to occur. But I agree with you that by low on, on Jokic, because whenever he slumps people uh oh, shit over him. and then you can grab him and get tons of value from him. But uh the next guy. Nice Gary Gary Harris was excellent, dealt with a knee injury this year, only sixty-seven games, thirty-four minutes, seventeen and a half points, two point three triples. Two and a half rebounds, three assists, 1.8 steals, 49, 83, 40% as his numbers. The 38th ranked player in fantasy, but his value comes from those high steal numbers and that elite efficiency from a guard, 60% true shooting. Again, he's still only 23. We're 24 uh, at the start of the season. Um, he, can, he can still probably improve a little bit on this, but I'm not sure how much more, how much better Gary Harris gets from here.
1: Well, I think part of the reason that we're not sure how much better Gary Harris get is he's already really good. Yeah. He so is. I mean, even if we just I mean, if you look at he was uh like thirty-third ranked fantasy player in nine category leagues last year and overall just a really solid player. He's probably just as valuable in real life as he is in fantasy because of how much he brings to the defensive end of the floor. And it's funny too, because the people of Twitter who are the uh, let's say the the ballers on Twitter, the people who actually play the games, who are uh, who are very upset with the Gary Harris contract. I, I think that they are less vocal about how bad the Gary Harris contract is because it's actually a very good contract. And I think that this is the Nuggets' core of young players is probably the second tier of who are right behind the like Sixers and Celtics. I think the Nuggets are really well set up for the future.
0: Yeah, Jokic, Harris, and Murray, obviously, uh, all really had strong seasons. They only had uh, they only had six players this season with positive on-off numbers. And as I touched on before, Jokic, Murray, Harris were all uh, five or above. Millsap at four. And then Baby Neck, Wilson, Chandler, and Barton at 0.8 and 0.3. And everyone else was a negative. So they were carrying this team as they should because they are the best players on this team. But yeah, Harris, can he become a 20-point scorer? I'm not really sure that he necessarily needs to do that, a usage of only 20%, but still that high steal rate, the, uh, I guess, increased ability to handle the ball this season marginally, and the high efficiency is what's going to keep him a solid and un- and unspectacular fantasy guy, but provides value right across the board in those areas. The Blue Arrow, um, Jamal Murray struggled a little bit early on with the shot, but as we talked about In many other shows with many players, when people start off slowly, like Tim Hardaway did, and they're shooting 10% from three, it's not going to stick. And Murray ended up as a 38% three-point shooter. I didn't like the way he was handled by the doctor at the start of the year, but Eventually, we saw big minutes go Jamal Murray's way, and he had a great year. Second season in the year six in the NBA, sixteen and a half points, three and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, a steal, two threes, and people will go, "Man, point guard, three and a half assists, it's bullshit is terrible." It's just the way the offense runs. It was running through Jokic, he was spotting up more, and he still provides value and almost was able to crack the top 50. And he has just turned 21, Greg. So he has got massive room to grow. He still has his defensive concerns, but I don't think that they're as bad as what some people make them out out to be. He's not uh, Isaiah Thomas on that end. He still does struggle, but he has got, and I think he's got the chance to perhaps jump ahead of a Gary Harris in terms of overall fantasy value in the next couple of seasons
1: yeah Jamal Murray looked really good for especially down the stretch last year it's it's funny because at the beginning of the the season you said you were unhappy with how the the doctor was handling him so we now uh we've talked about the Knicks, where moodier played minutes over Neil Aquino last year and moodier also played minutes over Jamal Murray at the beginning of the year, which is way more ridiculous yes so it I think Murray the other thing too is the ceiling for him is ridiculously high I think the floor for Harris is probably higher, but Murray is a legitimate all-star upside type player. And to what you were saying about the assist numbers, the I think that people should understand if you're looking at Jamal Murray from a real-life basketball standpoint is positions for basketball are kind of not that important. And they're way less relevant now than they've been at any other point in, in the history of basketball. And if the real point guard of this team is Nikola Jokic. Because Jokic is the one who the offense runs through. He's the one who does most of the ball handling and the facilitating. So Murray is maybe not a great passer, but he's a really good shooter. And there's probably room for him to get even better as a shooter from three-point range. He shot over 90% from the free throw line this year. So I think that he could take another step forward this year. I wouldn't say for sure he's going to be better than Gary Harris, but I think there's a chance that Jamal Murray ends up becoming a top 30 or so fantasy player. I think that's in the cards for him as a ceiling.
0: As a combo guard, as he's listed on cleaning the glass, he was in the 98th percentile in terms of shooting free throws, but only 70th percentile in drawing fouls. If he can draw more fouls, that is immense value. Not only is it up his points category, but it makes that, impact from the, the massive free throw percentage become huge. If he can go from, um, how many free throws did he take this season? 3.1. If he can take that to five, that's, that is, it's more than actually like, even though it's three to five is not double in terms of overall impact in the free throw percentage category, that will become more than double the, the value there. And that bumps you 15, 20 spots in the ranks already just from getting to the line a little bit more. And that's something that players do learn over their career, he's already taken his per 36 free throw attempt rate up from 2.4 in his rookie season to 3.6. If he gets that to six per 36, then you're talking about a significant increase in that overall value. Now, he will be handicapped, from his overall fantasy upside by those lack of assists. You're know, not getting to six and a half assists could limit him. The fact that he's not going to be a 1.8 steals guy like Gary Harris, but he's a, he's a shot to average 20 points, three triples per game. And if he gets that 45% to 46 or 47 and that, that real, the real value there is going to be in free throw attempts. If he gets that up, then we're talking about a significant bump of a guy who, who should be a perennial top 40, at least top 30, or at least top 40, perhaps top 30 sort of a player moving forward. He was second in this team in on off. He was really, really key and hated the way he was used at the start of the year and played limited minutes, didn't hit his shots. And Malone's ideas oh, you're not hitting your shots. Therefore you won't play because uh, that, that, that thought process is just nonsense. You didn't hit those shots before. Therefore you won't hit the ones coming. Like that's just not how anything works. Um, but he realized that later on and Murray played through it and became obviously a really, really impressive player for this team as the season went on. But let's, uh, let's talk Millsap, Greg, because it wasn't a great season for him. He's already 33. The wrist injury cost him playing time. He only played 30 minutes per game. But we'd seen his numbers start to decline uh, last year playing in Atlanta with Dwight Howard. And some of that was, oh, is it just because he's playing with Dwight? And I posited, yes, maybe. But I also posited the fact that he was 32 years of age and perhaps uh, a guy who wasn't considered an elite prospect. When they get to that age, the fall-off can happen. And it did. And he finished outside the top 70 this season. Now, we, I think we can expect more minutes from him next season, but... I'm not sure that he's ever he's never coming back to being that borderline first round player that he was for times in Atlanta. There is zero chance of that happening, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think one of the other issues too is just like I said before with the with the Nuggets' offense, they scored. Uh, they they actually oh I'm looking up the numbers now. I was looking at them backwards. They actually did score 2.1 points more uh, per 100 possessions with him off the floor, which I was actually a little surprised by. I thought the numbers were going to show that he was a worse offensive player with them on the floor than when he was than what they actually showed. But one thing with Millsap is like you said, with the age coming off the injuries, 33 years old, it's not a great looking contract now because they owe him what is it over thirty million dollars a year for the next couple of seasons. Um I'm trying to think where I would want to draft Millsap. I think that there is some ceiling for him just because the nuggets are going to play at a fast pace this year. He was the 79th ranked fantasy player. If he's to, if he's going to fall to like the sixth round of drafts, I think I'd want to pick him there. But I wouldn't want to take him any earlier than that. One thing that should bounce back is he shot 69% from the free throw line. Play the drop. giggity. There you go. Nice. <laughs> uh, pri- prior to last year, 77, 76, 76, 73% from the free throw line. So he's been really consistent in that category he's not going to shoot 69% from the free throw line again that should pick up and that was one of the biggest negatives to his fantasy game last year
0: he also it went to the went to the line uh fewer attempts but that's that can be a factor of age and playing with a different team the rebound numbers again we thought oh did they really drop because of Dwight Howard and that was a possibility but that dropped even further this season his block numbers rebounded a little bit but not to the level of the 15-16 season where he was at 1.9 blocks per 36 and that elite steal rate where he was able to maintain it at almost 2 per 36 uh, for many years, that actually declined again. And that's uh, that's a defensive issue. That's an age-related athleticism thing that, that can be a, a problem there with Millsap. I think that he does have a chance to maybe get back to being a top 50 player, but I think expecting anything higher than top 40 for Millsap next season seems uh, unrealistic. You mentioned his contract. Uh, he's due another $30 million this coming season, 18-19, uh, but the year after that is actually a $30 million team option. So I would imagine they would... uh end up declining that $30 million contract when he is 34 years of age, and they might be able to get out of that one there. Um Wilson Chandler, we, we talked about him already. Just He's just so blur. 10, 5, and 2, 32 minutes, 163rd-ranked fantasy player. He's not getting any better than that, so very little upside in him, even though he probably likely will be back in Denver. He'll probably be starting again for this team and again, just doing very little in that time. But Trey Lyles is a guy who was promising in his rookie season, completely missing in his second year in Denver, came across as part of the Donovan Mitchell trade and looked like a better player. Shot 49% from the field, 19 minutes, 10 points, almost five rebounds, Uh you know, stepped up with Paul Millsap out and had some big games, but then when um, Paulie was back, he uh, he fell off again and Defensive issues are going to be something that does limit him. Steals and block numbers aren't necessarily great from Lyles, and he can be a little bit flaky with the offensive performances. But did you see enough from Lyles to think, you know what, at some point I could see him maybe taking that spot off Milsap when they declined that team option?
1: Well, there was definitely – there was the stretch when – he was a good DFS play for a while. He was uh, he was a valuable contributor from a real life standpoint. One of one of the issues that I think Lyles had this year was he had such an inconsistent role that Malone gave him. Yep. Where I like I didn't understand where it was. There was also a point where they were starting like Darrell Arthur, and Arthur was playing like twenty minutes or so, and those were minutes that just could have gone to Lyles. I think that had Lyles played a consistent. 25 minutes or so per game roll I think we could have seen more from him because he really did show a good game and he, he could do a little bit of everything he could stretch the floor on offense he could be a viable defensive uh, player it's just the playing time wasn't there for him to kind of build up any kind of consistent rhythm or really be involved I actually think that I would prefer him getting minutes over Mason Plumley, who also has an awful contract
0: yeah his contract's not looking uh not looking that good. Lyles is now heading into his fourth year. His extension eligible this offseason, not necessarily sure he will get that. He only started 2 games all season but came off the bench when Millsap wasn't there and played starter's minutes. He had a real big chunk of games from uh from December through to uh February where he was playing uh, really really well, shooting well and scoring at a high level with with significantly high usage as well. Uh really did take that step forward this season, but it remains to be seen if his defensive issues which are, are relatively well documented as a big man, and inability to protect the rim could become a, could become an issue that does limit his overall upside. Uh, in his career, as, as he moves forward. Now you touched on Plumlee. He's 28 years of age already. 20 minutes per game. Now Malone loves the defense because because I'm an old school coach and you've got to be able to defend. Even though the team's defense was still shit, and this team is built for offense, so he he starts focusing on this defensive stuff and it does really it can short circuit the team at times. And yeah, you do have to have a defense, but yeah, Plumlee offers so little in, in other areas. But he he was strong. He he did protect the rim well. He can finish alley-oops. He's the league leader in reverse alley-oops and reverse dunks in general. Don't know why he always does it, but he, he does. Um, seven and five, two assists, 1.1 blocks, 60%. He's an interesting guy that can fill in and, and he can be useful in certain categories, but Behind Jokic on this team, he's, he's just not getting a big role. And those, those times when they started Jokic and Plumlee together, like, I just wanted to, to just rip my eyes out of my head. It's, it's nonsense. Hopefully we don't have any more of that. But again, with the doctor in control, I, that's not out of the realms of possibility. And Plumlee's 45% shooting from the line is by far a career worse. And that should be able to at least improve back to numbers, which weren't great, but they weren't as atrocious as what that had been in the past.
1: There was a point in time last year where Malone had said that he he was trying the Plumlee-Jokic combination. It clearly wasn't working, just as it didn't work, the Nurkic and Jokic combination. And Malone had said that, okay, we're getting away from it. Jokic is our center. He's going to be starting at center. We're not going to play him and Plumlee together anymore. And I'm pretty sure Plumlee started the next game next to Jokic. And in the post-game presser, people were kind of grilling Malone about and he was like going nuts on people like, Oh, these analytics people on Twitter who don't know what they're talking about. Well, what did he say? What about him two days ago? Isn't that, didn't that happen? Wasn't it a two day difference where he said they weren't going to play together anymore. And then they ended up starting together. I
0: look, I don't remember it exactly, but I'm, I'm sure there is a, a distinct possibility that dumb shit like that would have come out of his mouth. I don't really, I don't really doubt that, uh, that too much at all. Um, Ken Farid, does he have a place in the NBA? Only 33 games, 14 minutes, 6 and 5, defensively limited. Can, you know, high energy guy still can still rebound the ball, can still finish. He seems to still think that he's an, a, an elite level player when he never was and, and clearly isn't. Uh, they've been trying to unload this contract for years, haven't been able to do it. Uh, are we in for another year of DMPs for, uh, for Kenny Farid?
1: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address what you said in two questions. First, I think there is a role for Fareed in the NBA. I think that he is generally overrated by a lot of people, and I think that he is way overpaid and has a bad contract. But I think that there is a role for him on a team that's lacking big man depth, that needs energy off the bench. I think that he would be a viable player in like 15 to 18 minutes per game just coming off the bench as kind of rebounder and energy player. I think that people expect more out of him than that, and I also think that on this team there isn't a role for him because of how much depth they have at the position because I would still rather play Plumlee than him. Obviously, I'd rather play Millsap and Jokic than him. I'd rather play Trey Lyles than him. Uh, Wancho, if he gets back in the mix, I think I'd rather play him minutes than Fareed. So I just don't see what his role is for this team, but I think there is a role for him in the league.
0: Yeah, I don't see it for this team either. He struggles defensively. He can't stretch. He can't shoot. He does provide energy. He can be efficient. Um, is more of a spot guy and maybe he finds himself useful if he gets traded into 20 team leagues or something like that. But uh, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch at this point. Devin Harris came across in that trade. 19 minutes per game over the course of the season. He played okay, but he's 35 years of age. He's an unrestricted free agent. I can see the Nuggets bringing him back, especially uh, if Malone is is in there having any sort of say in that. He loves a veteran backup point guard. Harris is no threat to take minutes away from the Blue Arrow, so that's a good thing. But he, he was solid enough there, but he's really not an impactful fantasy guy in any sort of format at all. But one shows a guy that you mentioned, It was a real lost season for him, started off the season with an illness that kept him out and then was kept out by Malone for the majority of the year, 25 games, 11 minutes. A real regression from his rookie campaign, shot horribly, 28 from three, 39% from the field. I still believe in in Hernan Gomez a little bit less this season uh, than I did in his rookie year, and with Trey Lyles stepping up and taking that position, it, it worries me a bit. I also didn't like them playing him at small forwarder. He is more of a power forward to me. But I think he's still a couple of years away from being able to be a regular contributor, if at all. Um, I was a little bit soured on him from last season.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing I'm just looking at... so. The three-point shooting, I don't really know what happened, because in 2016, he shot over 40% yeah. from three, and that's that's where I think we really liked him, is we were looking at, at Wancho and saying that, oh, he could be a great floor spacer next to Jokic, you put him at the four, Jokic as the, as the center, and that would be really good for the floor spacing. He shot 28% from three last year. So I don't know what happened to his three-point shooting, but that's a ridiculous drop-off to go from over 40% to 28%. So if he's going to make threes, then yes, he's a viable player going forward. If he can't shoot threes anymore, then he has no role in the league.
0: Yeah, he, he could not hit his threes at all. He also has defensive liabilities as well in terms of defensive stats from a fantasy point of view. Steals and blocks are low. He can do some stuff perimeter-wise. We saw as a rookie, he matched up on Kevin Durant on the perimeter and did as well as pretty much you could expect anyone to do on Kevin Durant, but doesn't have the ability to protect the rim. He is a, a really good rebounder, had strong re- offensive rebounding percentages this season as well, but you know, was limited, and Trey Lyles has clearly jumped ahead of him, but if he can get that defense back... and and the three-point shooting back, there is a role for him in the NBA, and he can be an interesting fantasy guy, but of course, outside the top 400 this season, is nowhere near where you need it to be, and he'd be more of a speculative dynasty-type pickup who still does have that potential, but mm, I'm not as big on him as what I was. An interesting other player, and probably the last guy we really need to touch on in this team, is Malik Beasley. Who's only 21? He played only 10 minutes per game. Malone kept, and like you said in the press conferences, he kept making a song and it's oh, Malik's gonna play more. Malik's gonna play more, and he just never did because Malone talks out of his ass as much as possible. Three points, half a three, didn't really do anything to get excited when you look at those numbers. But I still think that there that Beasley has an opportunity in the league to be a uh, a, a rotation wing um not that we saw too much out of him this season struggled in a lot of the advanced stuff um nothing stands out as being uh being fantastic but I thought that I think there's a little bit there for Malik to work his way into a backup shooting guard on this team
1: Yeah I think that he looked decent at times there was also he drew a couple of, he he drew a couple of starts I think as did Tory Craig So I think that he could definitely make the team. I don't think that he's ever going to be fantasy relevant just because they have so much depth at that spot. Uh, But maybe like 20 team leagues, there could be a role for him. Uh, He doesn't really do much
0: outside of uh, scoring there. Like he's not a big assist guy or steals or blocks or anything like that. He, He might be a guy who can contribute in scoring and threes, but he hasn't really shown that yet. But I'm not ready to give up on him despite really subpar performances in his first two years in the league.
1: Uh, one final thing, Tory Craig over under yep. 0.5 starts for him for the Nuggets next year.
0: Um, I think if Wilson Chandler opts out, which would be stupid, I think that Craig might end up starting. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd go over under 50 games started for him next season, but, oh, okay. uh, but uh, that's if Chandler Chandler, because who else would they play at the three there? They don't, like Will Barton might not be back. They might not be bringing him back. So there's a massive hole there at the three. And we know that Michael Malone craves that defense. Now Craig is still a restricted free agent, but they can get him really cheaply. They could sign him to a you know, three-year, nine million dollar contract. I mean, that would be totally fine there. And if Chandler and Barton both aren't back, then I think he's starting a shit ton of games. And I think the over is is clearly. I think I think that you want the over on that 0.5 games. I I think that he will oh, so get I, games.
1: I think I said a bad line man. Uh <laughs> yeah. So one of the things with Tory Craig I mean I think that he's one of those players I don't know why Mike Malone likes him so much. Defense, Craig, 20 t- 27 years old. It's not like he really did all that much and they have other good defensive players on the roster. Uh so he's definitely he's not going to be somebody's fantasy relevant even oh, if he no. starts cuz he started a handful of games last year and really did nothing with it. He doesn't get to the free throw line when he gets there he doesn't make his free throws he doesn't shoot all that well from the field so 29 percent like from
0: 3 yeah. yeah 29% from 3 63% from the line it gets steals at, at an okay rate that's that can be useful but nothing overly spectacular yeah look he's he's a guy that one of those guys who will end up playing uh, minutes and not being, uh, relevant really at all. But yeah, there is that opportunity for someone to slip into that spot. But if he does, say they do sign him and they don't bring back Chandler and Barton and he's starting there, he's that guy that will play. But that means that Harris and Murray and Jokic and Millsap will all see their usage, you know, skyrocket because he's going to be, you know, what did he, what was his usage this season? It was pretty minimal, I'm going to guess. 11%. So you think an average player is 20%, then there's you know, percentages to go around to those other guys at pretty extreme levels. But I could see him being in the rotation next season. Um, I'm assuming you don't have many thoughts on the 2.2 minutes that Tyler Lydon played this season?
1: Uh, no, I think I missed those minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I'm pretty sure everybody did. I think he now I know I mentioned this on the draft recap show. I think he played them in the first game of the season and then didn't play again and then had season ending knee surgery. I'm just going to double check that because it's pretty humorous if that was the case. And it was the case. 2.2 minutes in the first game of the year and that was it. Did not register a single stat. No turnovers, no field goal attempts, no nothing. So Tyler Lydon, um, yeah, cool. We will see how that all pans out for him. But like we mentioned with Kenneth Farid and Juancho Hernan Gomez and Trey Lyles, there's a big... There's a big backlog back of players at that power forward position, so not much in terms of uh, huge hopes for him to do anything next season. Greg, let's uh, let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter and your uh, your other work, your baseball stuff, that people can go and follow as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so everybody, go follow me on Twitter at G DFS. You could subscribe to my podcast. It is the Foul Balls Podcast covering baseball right now once football starts we be covering football and we'll be covering basketball next year also once we get this started again and you can find any of my baseball work i tweet out all my links on twitter so i do stuff for draftkings rotopros.com uh, you can check that out
0: Go and check out Greg on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter and subscribe to both podcasts, this podcast and The Foul Balls Show, and give us five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can find this show on YouTube as well. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, lockedonsports.com. Greg, thanks for coming on. Once again, it was good to uh, good to chat to you about the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Josh. All right, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Sal will Barton